Welcome, NEC fans. This is Ron Ratner, and this is NEC Now with my special guest, Andy Toole from Robert Morris. Andy, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Ron. First off, how's it going at home? Uh, Ryan, Colin, the family, are, are you, you're cooped up. What's it like at the Toole household right now? Uh, it's been chaotic. You know, the, the weather is starting to turn here in Western Pennsylvania, which has been a huge blessing. Get them out of the house a little bit because I think we have a uh, track oval permanently ingrained into our kitchen through our television room where they've been, you know, playing, chasing each other. Every single sports game has been played in and out of the house during quarantine. But, but uh, everybody's doing great and everybody's healthy. So we're thankful for that. Good to hear. Let's talk about your career at Robert Morris. Um, and we, we have 13 years pretty much to cover from you being an assistant to, to this past season. Um, when you first arrived back in 07, 08, you, you, you come onto a team that's pretty loaded with talent. You, you come on, there's, there's Tony Lee and AJ Jackson and Jimmy Langhurst. Um, that season starts and one of your first games you play is at Seton Hall. I was at this game, like you get to a hundred points, you're winning most of the game. You wind up losing in overtime. Was that, at that point, did you feel like you already, you had something special brewing there right away? You know, I think that um, we felt like, well, I shouldn't say we felt like, you know, when I, when I took the job in April, 2007, um, coach Rice had been an assistant at Pitt. And he had scouted Robert Morris the year prior when Pitt played Robert Morris. And one of the things that we talked about when I was, you know, coming on board was the fact that he thought they could have a really good team. You know, obviously AJ, Tony being seniors, Jeremy Chappelle being a junior, you know, a number of guys that were all conference caliber type guys on the roster. And so when we came on campus, uh, we didn't have time to work them out in the spring. When I got here, they were already gone. You know, we had a couple guys here in summer school, but at that time you couldn't work guys out in summer school, you know, so they would play pickup and they would mess around in the gym and all those things. But when August hit and we started to really work out, get on the court, start to implement some things offensively, defensively, watch guys compete, see some of their skill level. You know, I think we thought we could have a really good team. And um, our first game of the year was, was home against Iona. We ended up winning that game. That was also the first game for Kevin Willard at Iona. And, you know, I thought there was just, you know, some confidence about those guys. Obviously, they had a ton of experience. There was a hunger about them wanting to be more successful than they had been, you know, in the year or two prior. Uh, the only guy they had lost really of impact from the year prior was Derek Coleman, who was, you know, an outstanding Northeast Conference guard as well. And so, you know, I think those guys believed that they could be pretty good. And as we went through the non-conference season, you know, I remember that Seton Hall game. We were up 20 points at one point in that second half. Yep. And you know, some crazy stuff happened down the stretch, some turnovers, some fouls, some missed free throws. You know, we weren't ready to win that kind of a game yet. But I think guys understood that if we would go out and we would follow our formula, we could compete with anybody on our schedule. You lose that one. But later on in non-conference, you win at Boston College. You wind up winning 26 games that year. Uh, you wind up, And you go to the NIT. You play Syracuse in the NIT. Was that – first of all, what was that experience like for – your players competing in that game right to the end and then two is did you have a sense that by the end of that season that Robert Mars you know was on the map a little bit you know I uh, I think you know we we had beaten Fordham in a guarantee game that year we beat Boston College in a guarantee game that year which was an awesome experience because Tony Lee was from Boston 
um, and had, you know, hundreds of people at the game. I think he threw the ball into the stands after the game, after the final buzzer sounded, which you don't see very often, you know, and then, you know, we were upset in the semifinals by Mount St. Mary's. And, you know, I think it was, um, again, the, that learning to win process. I thought, you know, we had won a, a ton of games in a row up to that point, you know, maybe double digit games we had won in a row. And, um, you know, when we got to that Mount game, we were just, we weren't sharp, you know, we weren't sharp. And I think as coaches, you know, we talked about that in the spring of, you know, trying to keep guys detailed and locked in as the year went on, something that we learned during that season. Um, but guys were excited to go to Syracuse. It was one of the years where Syracuse, I think, was the first team out of the NCAA tournament. And there was, you know, 31,000 people there. They had made it a big deal to come out and pack the Orange Dome because they wanted to, you know, show the NCAA what kind of program they had. And, you know, they had Paul Harris and Dante Green and uh, Johnny Flynn and Scoop Jardine was a freshman. And, you know, they had a really strong team. And we actually took the lead with about a minute five to go in that game. And Pateco Francisco, who would go on to be the defensive player of the year in, in 2009, was guarding full court. And um, I don't want to theme of this interview to be officials, but uh, <laughs> they, had a, they had a hand check call. Um, you know, because the ball was crossed in half court, which allowed Syracuse to go to the line and make two free throws and take the lead, which they ended up keeping. Um, but I think, you know, we started to feel like, you know, this this program could go somewhere, uh, that that we had pieces uh, coming back that could continue our success. I think we set a carrier dome record that night. We made 16 threes. A.J. Jackson, I think, made four or five of them. And so it was a really, you know, special opportunity. It was a way to you know, I think make the best of the disappointment of not you know, winning the NEC tournament championship and, you know, making the best of an NIT trip. And, um, you know, our guys were right there to the end. And again, I think it was a great learning experience for our guys and a great way to kind of put a stamp on year one of Coach Rice's tenure. Let's talk a little bit about Tony Lee, uh, tough as nails, six footer. He had back-to-back -back triple doubles that year, he averaged like seven rebounds a game. It was crazy. I think he gets a little lost in our history because he wasn't on a team that, you know, you were just taking off at that point. You didn't win an NEC title with him, but he was also unique in the fact that, you know, on the court, he was, he was tough. I, I remember seeing him with Mike and they would just go at it during, during games. What was it like coaching a guy like that? Well, there was a number of times where I was the guy kind of in between those, those conversations between Tony and Mike and you know, trying to, uh, explain things that might've got lost in translation back and forth. And, you know, it was, uh, we could do a whole interview on Tony Lee and just, <laughs> you know, one of, one of the guys that I love to coach, um, you know, he brought an infectious personality every day to practice. He was, he was super competitive. Um, but you're right. He was an anomaly in terms of the way he played the game. I mean, maybe barely over six foot, um, probably pound for pound, one of the strongest people that I've ever come in contact with, let alone a basketball player. I mean, he had the heaviest hands. You could see it when he would get steals. You would see it, some of the rebounds that he would get in traffic. Um, he was super poised in the paint and around the rim. Um, and, and he just, he, he could do it all. And he would, he would raise the level each day. I mean, Jeremy Chappelle is one of the most competitive guys we had as well. You know, we would put the two of those guys on separate teams and, you know, the energy level would be through the roof because neither would give an inch. And, um, you know, Tony had those back-to-back -back triple doubles that year. He was close a couple other times during the course of that season. Uh, and, and he really sacrificed. You know, he was a guy who up until that point, you know, defense wasn't always on the top of his priority list unless it was, you know, taking someone's ball. And, you know, he was one of the first guys who really bought into Coach Rice and, 
and the philosophy that we're going to defend people. You know, we knew that those guys could score. They'd always put up great offensive numbers with Coach Schmidt. We wanted them to just defend a little bit. And I think Tony was one of the guys who kind of led that charge because he was so competitive and he wanted to win. The following year, you lose Tony and AJ. You add uh, Rob Robinson. Uh, as you said, Bateko was the defensive player of the year. Jeremy is the player of the year. Talk a little bit about Jeremy. Again, one of the great all-around players that has come through the NEC. Everything seemed to come real natural for him. Um, yeah. What made him so special in your eyes? Again, it, it's the competitiveness. You know, he was a guy that we would be in a practice setting and there would be a – you know, question about the score on, of the drill. And, and he would be able to, with his own recall, explain every basket, you know, that was made. Um, he would be able to, you know, he was a guy who when, you know, a drill or a game or something wasn't going his way, you know, instead of pouting, he would, he would do more. He, he would try and guard three guys if that's what it took. Um, you know, at six foot four, he could, guard guys any size on the court uh, obviously an incredible rebounder he was incredibly efficient as a shooter uh, really understood how to how to pass and how to play um, and, and he had that drive you know and, and I think that's what a lot has allowed him to have such a long career you know overseas because he can fit in with any team in any style um, and it's funny now we have some alumni weekends and you know guys will start talking about this or that or you know how we should have ran offense different or had a different play and you know, when he starts to kind of explain the game, he puts it in such simplistic terms because he understands it at such a high level. And I think um, he's so easy to play with. Um, he's so good at just making the simple right play. And again, goes back to that desire to win. And, and he, like I said, was probably as competitive a guy as, as we've coached in my 13 years here. Absolutely. All-time great. Uh, back in the day, and it even continued for years after, was the rivalry with Mount St. Mary's seems like you guys meet in the playoffs almost every year. Back then, it was especially fierce, I would say. Uh, I remember we did an interview once with uh, Dallas Green, and I think it was Sam Atupam, and before the game with Capstraw, and they would not even look each other in the eye. It was icy. Um, what was it like playing that Jeremy Good, Kelly Beidler team that, that uh, Milan had back in the day? Well, it's funny, Milan, obviously now an assistant at Pitt, uh, is, is in the same city. And, you know, when I see him or we, we opened our arena this year against Pitt and, you know, one of the things he came up to me and said was, looks a little bit different than the place we used to have our wars in. And, and it's exactly what they were. They were wars. And I think there was great respect uh, across, you know, both programs. Uh, I thought both programs had similar DNAs. They were going to be physical. They were going to defend you. They were going to grind you offensively. And it really started even before we got here. It was something that our teams had kind of just thrust upon us. Uh, Jeremy Chappelle, his freshman year, had made a game-winning shot in the quarterfinals of the NEC tournament down there. And I think, you know, that to me, at least for the guys we coached, kind of signified the start of that rivalry. And um, it only intensified as, you know, we lost them in the semifinals. Um, my first year as an assistant, beat them in the finals. My second year as an assistant, and then beat them in the semis. In our, in our third year, but even, you know, every time we would get together, I think both teams understood what kind of game it would be. And, you know, I see the Atupam sometimes now on the road during recruiting. Uh, Will Holland obviously is an assistant at the Mount. Uh, and I think because there was such a great respect, you know, the guys are able to communicate and, and um, you know, just enjoy, you know, the, the competition that, that those teams had because they were fun games to be a part of. And, 
you knew it was going to come down to some kind of defensive stand late in the game, and often it did. Comes to a head in the 2009 title game. Uh, this was not an offensive explosion, this one. Uh, comes down to the end. You have the ball. You're, you're dribbling the clock out. Jeremy has the ball. He gets, he gets knocked away. He's Dallas Green picks it up and uh, sinks the winning basket. Not exactly the way I'm sure Mike drew this one up, but uh, how did you feel for someone like Dallas being able uh, to like become part of the folklore at the college with that shot? It was great. You know, 48-46 was the final score of that game. And I think if we had Jeremy Chappelle and Coach Rice on here right now, we might question why we put Jeremy in a ball screen. That wasn't exactly his uh, forte you know, coming off a ball screen. And so as he, as he came off the ball screen, we knew he was going to attract a ton of attention. Um, you know, they came aggressively to try and double that ball screen and, and trap that ball screen. And, you know, Jeremy lost the handle and, and it bounced right to Dallas's feet. And to really no one's surprise, Dallas made that shot. You know, if you knew Dallas, um, he's the ultimate, just kind of carefree, would be willing to do whatever it takes to be able to win. And I, I don't think it really surprised anybody that he found himself in that situation and, and was able to make it because, you know, that was just kind of the way that he approached the game. You know, he approached the game in a way where, you know, he was a great teammate. Uh, he, he had a great understanding and IQ of how to play. You know, he probably could have been more of an offensive threat, you know, had he been more aggressive. But, you know, that wasn't really in his nature. His nature was kind of to be – to fit in with the group. What, what do you guys need me to do? Screen, rebound, defend, um, you know, move the ball, all those kind of things. But – you know, with his size and his versatility, he was he was a really impressive um, tool for us in in the Northeast Conference because he could guard one through four. We could switch a lot of ball screens, and he could keep people in in front of him. And um, he he still is working towards his Hall of Fame selection based off that one shot. <laughs> I see him, in, and he's been at a bunch of games. You know, he he was at our Notre Dame game last year. He came down to Louisville a couple years ago. Um, him and his dad come to a bunch of games now, which is which is a lot of fun. Um, and he still is curious about where his statue is outside the UKMC event. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, the following year, uh, it looked like the t that season, it just seemed destined that you guys were going to play Quinnipiac in the end. And two really good teams. Quinnipiac was loaded with Ruddy and James Johnson and those guys. They're, you go down to the final. You're playing in their new arena, 3,600 people, of which there maybe there's 200 Robert Morris fans there behind your bench. Um, I remember the folks at Quinnipiac really thought this was their year. Like, this, they had this game. You may not have needed any more motivation coming in, but when you're in a situation like that, do you come into the game? Is there a, is there a motivation you try to give to the players that it's like an us-against-the-world mentality going into a situation like that? You know, I think we had a, a roster of guys that had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. And, you know, I think that was the first year, especially in the non-conference, that we, you know, we struggled in a non-conference. Uh, we, we had five seniors that year, you know, Josiah Whitehead, Rob Robinson, Mezzi Nwigway, Dallas Green, Jimmy Langhurst. Those guys had, you know, incredible experience, uh, understanding how to work and win for championships. But then we were mixing in, you know, a bunch of young kids. Uh, Velton Jones was a redshirt freshman. Russell Johnson was a redshirt freshman. Karan Abraham was a true freshman. You know, so we were working some of those guys into our roster and into our rotation. You know, and we were having ups and downs. You know, all year, I remember we opened that year at Syracuse and we lost by 40. And it was, it was embarrassing. And um, we kind of found our footing as we got in NEC play. You know, unfortunately, uh, Jimmy Langhurst tore his ACL uh, in, the, in the middle of that season. And that was really where Karan Abraham stepped up. He became our leading scorer. 
again, our seniors were, you know, smart enough and confident enough and poised enough to be able to allow him to bring what he brought to the game uh, for our team, right? Mezzanigwe was defensive player of the year. After years of battling his desire to score, 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 um, he found his niche. Rob Robinson was an all-conference player. And I think we knew going into that Quinnipiac game it would be a battle. They had beaten us at our place um, pretty handily during the regular season. And uh, we knew we needed to be better. And I think those guys really embraced that and they really worked. And you know, as we pulled up to the arena that night, you, know, you could see the fans were everywhere. Everybody had a gold shirt on. And I think that did motivate our guys. I think it did show you know, the, the toughness that our team had. Again, 52 to 50. Um, another late turnover by Karan Abraham leads to them having the opportunity to, you know, get a game winning or a game tying shot. And, and Dallas Green again saves the day with a huge shot on James Feldine. One of the things I'll say about that team was uh, when we would scout, they were so locked into scout and they knew, we knew what play Quinnipiac was going to run. And, and, and our guys knew it. They were calling it out. They knew where the ball was going to go to Feldine. And Dallas made a great play and he was able to block the shot and we were able to secure the win. And your future Hall of Famer hit two free throws to, to clinch that game. Correct. Um, you know, and, and again, I just think it's, it's all, um, you know, I, I think he hit the two free throws and he might have had the last field goal um, of, of that game. Uh, and so, again, it just, you know, guys stepping up, guys making plays, guys having, you know, levels of toughness that, you know, came out in the right moments. You draw Villanova in the NCAs that year. When, when that popped up on the screen, did you immediately think that this is a, a team that we can go toe-to-toe with or, or not? You know, um, the year prior we had played Michigan State, and, and we knew what kind of issues that they would give us with, you know, just being bigger, faster, and stronger. And I think when we saw the Villanova matchup, we knew that we wouldn't be completely overmatched physically. Uh, I think when you look at a lot of the games in the NCAA tournament, bigger, faster, stronger at some point just wears on the, the, the lower seed. And we knew at Villanova we could match up in some ways. Um, obviously, they had some guys with some size that, you know, gave us some problems during the course of the game. But on the perimeter, we knew we thought we could, we could match and we thought we could do some things. Um, and our guys were excited. You know, I think, again, those seniors, they, they understood what it was like to be in the NCAA tournament. I think our first year – as much as people don't want to admit it, sometimes you're just excited to be there. And then the second year was much more businesslike. You know, I thought our practices leading up were much more intense. Guys still had that hunger to try and do something different or special. And we walked around that whole week everywhere we went, um, whether it was in our locker room or when we went up to Providence. You know, we had a list of the other four teams previous to us that had pulled 15 two upsets. You know, now that list has grown, but, you know, our guys were seeing that everywhere they went. And, um, you know, as we got into the game and we got off to a good start, I think guys really started to get confident, you know, that it's a game that we could win. In that game, I mean, we know the story. Karan Abraham's the best player in this game. You're up eight going into the final media. Uh, Scotty Reynolds gets, uh, you know, he gets some dubious calls if we're going to talk about officiating down the stretch of that game. You, you lose in overtime. Um, how proud are you were, for the performance of that team? And what did that game do for your program? You know, it's one of the proudest moments I've had as a coach. And, and, uh, and when, I, when I talk about this, sometimes I, I start to get like the chills that I had that day. Um, there was 13,000 people in the Providence Civic Center and we lose the game. Uh, I think Mezzini Wigway tries to hit a, a, game, a, a game tying shot. He misses it. Our guys are completely dejected. The place is sold out. 
Um, and we go through handshake lines. And as we go through handshake lines, there was about, you know, a couple hundred Robert Morris students that had driven all night to come to the game. And we had a, a fan group and a student group that was across the court from where we were supposed to exit for the locker room. And so Coach Rice had told all the guys to go and, you know, salute the fans. So they all walked over, you know, they gave the old soccer claps and, you know, waved to everybody. And they were on the opposite side of the court as our exit, like I said. And as we walked back across the court to leave the court, we got a standing ovation. And, you know, we, we obviously didn't win the game, but I think the 13,000 people that were there appreciated and respected the effort that we played with. And it was, it was fitting. I mean, guys are crying as they're coming off the court. Um, but as a coach, I just kind of looked around and was like, this is, this is incredible. Like this is, this is exactly what you would want your team to be viewed as a team that like left everything they possibly could on the court. And even though we came up a little bit short, everybody here understands what just happened. And as we got into the locker room, it was incredibly emotional, but you know, that, that is something that has stuck with me now for, you know, the previous 10 years, because, you know, as a coach, it was one of the more magical experiences that I had felt where these guys had laid it all on the line and everybody appreciated and respected that effort. Thanks for watching part one of our four part NEC Now podcast with Robert Morris's Andy Tool. Be on the lookout for part two coming soon. But in the meantime, be sure to subscribe to the NEC Overtime pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher.